Most Christians, I think, have a desire to share their faith. Our faith in Jesus is important to us. It defines us. It shapes our life. And we want others to experience that. Even if we don't have a deep desire for other people to know the love of Christ through us, we probably know we should have that desire. (laughs) We know intuitively that this is not just for us, it's for others. In 2012, LifeWay Research found that 80% of church people who attended church once a month or more really believe they should be talking to other people about Jesus, sharing their faith. They also found that 60% or so hadn't done that in the last month. So there's this kind of distance, isn't there, between our conviction and our action. There's some separation between what we know we ought to be doing, what we believe we ought to be doing, what Jesus has called his people to do, and broadly, what his people actually do. We know we need to be talking to folks about the Lord and his love, but so often we don't. And that raises questions for us. Why not? We know what the Lord wants. Why don't we do it? And I think there are a lot of reasons for this. A lot of reasons we don't engage people and talk to just tell the story. The technical term is evangelism, but it's really just talking about what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done. And so, what are the things that get in the way? What are the barriers to evangelism? What are the barricades that keep us from sharing our faith? And maybe if it helps to name a few of those, maybe we can start thinking about how we get over them, how we get past them. One of them, I think, is ignorance. I'd love to tell my friends about Jesus. I'm not sure what to say. Don't raise your hand, but maybe you've been there. I feel like the Lord wants me to talk to this person, but I'm not quite sure how to tell the story. (laughs) Maybe you're apathetic. Some people are. I don't really care about telling people about Jesus. If that's where you are, maybe you need to see if you know Jesus. Just, just saying. <laughs> if we're apathetic about the gospel, we may not have experienced the grace of God. So just there's a red flag for us. Sometimes we're too busy, aren't we? I mean, goodness gracious, our calendars are full. The kids have got things. We've got things. The preacher wants us to do some other things. Who has time to go find people we don't know and talk to them about Jesus? Don't they know how busy we are? Doesn't God know how busy we are? Sometimes we say, it's just not my gift. Funny thing about this one is, it doesn't really matter whether it's our gift or not. It's a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes he commands us to do things we're not particularly gifted for, doesn't he? And then sometimes people will say, well, preacher, I'd love to tell somebody about Jesus, but I don't know anybody who's not a Christian. You know what I always say when people tell me that? Go find some. (laughs) they're everywhere they're all over the place and so there are all these reasons there are all these sometimes they're excuses sometimes they're valid reasons sometimes you know they're 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 really barrier all of them are barriers 
that get in the way of us actually doing what Jesus said and engaging people with the good news of His unfailing, never-stopping, never-ending, perfect love. And we're here because the Lord has filled us with His perfect love. And we've experienced it. And we think, man, you know, that initial thing, we're excited about this. We want other people to know about it. And then a little time passes and we kind of settle in and get into a routine. And, well, we kind of like us. We forget that it's all about others. There's one more barrier that I haven't mentioned yet. I think it's the biggest one. It's the one I deal with sometimes. This may surprise you. Can you guess what it is? Fear. It's scary to talk to people about Jesus. It's easy in here because we're all on the same page. But you go out there and you you don't know what might happen. You really don't. We're afraid. Maybe they'll think we're religious fanatics. Maybe they'll think we're bigots. Maybe they'll sue us. <laughs> or something. Or call us names. Or just walk away. One time, I sat down on a bench next to a guy and started chatting with him. And uh, eventually I said, hey, you ever heard of Jesus? You know what he did? He stood up and walked away. Straight up. He just left. Did not say another word. That happens sometimes. Guess that wasn't the time. So we went on and found somebody else. But it happens. Sometimes we get rejected. One time when I was in seminary, I went to get my hair cut. And I'm sitting there in the chair, and the lady's cutting my hair. And she asked me what I do. I'm a seminary student. I probably have on a shirt that said Asbury Theological Seminary. The word theology was probably on my chest. What do you do? Well, I'm a pastor and a student at Asbury down the road. A pastor, okay. Well, what do Methodists believe? And she, she engages me in a discussion. And the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, dude, here's a chance to get a word in for Jesus. And then all of a sudden there was this feeling in the pit of my stomach. Right now, I'm not ready for this. What if she doesn't like what I say? What if she, you know, she was Jewish. What if I, yeah, oh, she's got scissors <laughs> near my ears. She could do things to my hair and it's just, ah, yeah. I mean, and I didn't say anything. I'm a Methodist. The conversation went on, a little time passed it, and the Holy Spirit like just <laughs> smacked me in the face. You know what he said? O'Reilly, if you can't talk to somebody about Jesus, when they raise the question, <laughs> as a pastor, how will you ever lead the church? Change the world. And I felt so bad, (laughs) just so convicted. 
I mean, what, talk about an opportunity to get a word in for the Lord dropped in your lap. You didn't even have to steer the conversation. The other person did. I just felt so convicted. But the Lord is good, isn't he? And about four or five minutes later, another opportunity came along. And after getting smacked around by the Spirit in the last five minutes, it was a little easier that time. I said, well, you know, I spend my time talking about Jesus. What do you know about him? And we ended up having a really great extended discussion for the rest of the haircut about the Lord and his love. We talked a little bit, she was Jewish, so she knew some things about the Old Testament. We talked a little bit about that, talked about how the Lord fulfills things. And she was open and had a lot of questions. She didn't pray any sinner's prayer on the spot. But I went home that day praying for her and asking the Lord to let that seed grow into some fruit one day. I did what I was supposed to do, now it's up to him to do the rest. But even the preachers are afraid sometimes. I heard an evangelism professor who uh, was acquainted with some people who worked for Billy Graham share with him. Even Billy Graham experiences that feeling of fear in the pit of his stomach when it's time to talk to people one-on-one -on -one about Jesus. So maybe that makes somebody feel a little bit better. <laughs> we all deal with this. Our mission is to follow Jesus and change the world, to fill it with the glory of his, the beauty of his glory. We cannot do that if we are paralyzed by our fear and if we succumb to these other barriers. So if we're going to fulfill our mission, we have to talk to people about Jesus. So the bottom line, to share our faith, we must face our fear. That's all there is to it. To share our faith, we must face our fear. We can get some help with that from Peter. Remember Peter. This is the guy who, when Jesus was arrested, followed along. Maybe at a distance. You don't want to get too close to a guy who just got arrested, right? He follows along. He's in the courtyard, and people start saying, Hey, we remember you. You're one of his followers. You were with him. No, no, it's not me. It's not me. I don't know that guy. Pulls his cloak around a little bit more. It's dark. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll leave him alone. No, no, I recognize your accent. <laughs> You're from the same part of town he's from. You're one of his followers. No, no. Three times Peter denies that he knows Jesus. Why? Because he's afraid of the consequences of taking ownership of his faith. He might wind up on a cross too. He's afraid. Think about that, Peter, and the transition that he undergoes by the time we get to the book of Acts, chapter 10. Something happened to Peter. The Holy Spirit showed up in his life. And the Spirit of God filled him with confidence and boldness so that he could go through Jerusalem and around the world proclaiming how much Jesus loves people. And how God has expressed his love through Jesus. And how Jesus is the Lord of all. And how he offered his life. And how God raised him from the dead. So Peter tells the story. So it's helpful to me when I feel that thing in the pit of my stomach 
that bit of fear that says, all right, pressure's on, time to tell the story. I know I don't want to, I don't feel like it, I had other things going on today, I had some other plans, I'm late for an appointment, but here's an opportunity to talk about the Lord, and it seems to be something that he has orchestrated in my presence. I may be afraid, but you know, it's helpful for me to remember that the lead apostle needed the Holy Spirit to do some very specific things in his life to help him overcome that kind of fear. So Peter is encouraged and empowered by the Spirit of God. And then we discover that the Spirit wants Peter to do some things that nobody's done before. And so one day Peter is, uh, I think it says earlier, he's on the roof of his house. He goes up to the roof to pray in Acts chapter 10, earlier before we read. And he's praying, he falls into this kind of trance kind of state. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Uh, and he has a vision. And the vision is of a sheet kind of thing coming down out of the sky. And it hits the ground or the roof or something and opens up. And you remember what's in the sheet? Some of you have been studying Acts, maybe you remember this one. There's all these different kind of animals. And if you studied it, you probably realize it's the kind of animals that good Jewish boys don't eat. Right? And a voice says to him, the Lord says to him, Peter, get up and kill and eat. And Peter, being a good Jewish boy, says, no, 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 people like me don't eat things like that. And it happens a couple more times. And God says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. If I made it, and if I said it's good, you don't get to say it's not. You don't get to create a barrier to that thing. God calls the shots. And Peter's thinking, what in the world is this about? I mean, come on. There's an object. It's kind of like the children's sermon that's not quite clear. <laughs> There's an object lesson, but Peter hasn't figured it out yet. He doesn't figure it out until these folks show up at his door from this guy named Cornelius, who is not a Jewish person. Uh, he's a soldier. He worships the Jewish God, but he's not a Jewish person. And the Spirit of God has said, Cornelius, send some people to get Peter and bring him to you. So the Holy Spirit's very much at work here. And so Peter goes with them. He's greatly puzzled about this vision, but he's beginning to see what's happening. And he shows up at Cornelius' house with these guys, and Cornelius begins to say, hey, the Lord wanted me to send for you, and I want to hear what you have to say. And all of a sudden, Peter begins to realize the Spirit of God is about to bust the walls off this place. It's no longer, the Jesus movement is no longer restricted to the Jewish people. The nations are about to be incorporated into this. So he tells the story. That's all he does. He tells the story. He's like, hey, I was there. Here's what happened. <laughs> God showed up in Jesus and did spectacular things. People got healed, people got rescued, people were ministered to, good things were happening, and then the authorities killed him, <laughs> and he died for us, but God raised him from the dead, and gave him life, and he's Lord of all, and he's judge of all, and he offers forgiveness to everyone who believes in him. And we all, we've heard, we know the story, we know the story, we've been to Sunday school, Respect for most of us. We read that passage, it's pretty familiar territory. And so Peter's telling the story, and while he's telling the story, right after he tells the story, something weird happens, something unexpected happens, the Holy Spirit shows up. And all of a sudden, these non-Jewish people meet Jesus and get filled with the Spirit. 
The evidence of this new thing is speaking in tongues. In that instance, don't expect that every time. <laughs> the Lord's doing a new thing, and that sort of sign is, a, is an affirmation that God is at work. Gentiles, non-Jewish people had not yet received the Spirit, so this is a, a first. All, plenty of reasons to be afraid here, aren't there? Plenty of reasons. And those reasons will be confirmed in a few minutes when he goes back to Jerusalem and the big boys start criticizing. What I want you to see is Peter is such a spectacular example of someone who starts out in a place of deep fear. Deep fear. But the Holy Spirit is able. And this is where we have to live, friends. This is where, if, if you've ever been in that place where you're like, I'd like to tell somebody about Jesus, but it scares me to death. The Holy Spirit is able to overcome that in your life because his desire is to work through you to fill the world with the beauty of the gospel. And here's the thing, friends. If we don't, who will? I don't hear any answers. <laughs> if we don't, who will? The people of God are called by God to do this job. We have one job. That's it. <laughs> There's one, one thing, and we get distracted by so many other things or paralyzed by fear of doing the one thing that the Lord actually has called us to do. So Peter is such a great figure for us. We can just sort of look at him and say, you know, Lord, maybe you can do in me what you did in him. Here's a guy who was so scared he denied Jesus. Anybody ever denied Jesus? No? Well, you're in a better spot than Peter was. <laughs> yeah, that's, how, that's how fearful he was. He denied the Lord, and the Holy Spirit can come into that place and overcome that barrier and fill him with confidence and boldness and passion to be able to share the gospel with the wrong kind of people in his world. The right kind of people in God's eyes, don't get me wrong. But from the perspective of his peers, the wrong kind of people. I'll tell you this, friends. If the Holy Spirit hasn't worked through you to tell the wrong kind of people about the Lord Jesus Christ, you've not yet come to your fullness in him. So Peter is amazed. He's speaking, and the Holy Spirit uses the words that come out of his mouth as an occasion, as a means of grace to fill these non-Jewish people, the wrong kind of people, with his presence. And Peter is astounded and he understands the vision. Oh, it wasn't about the food, it was about the people. If God has made the Gentiles, I don't get to say they're not included. And so he starts baptizing folks. And the church instantly becomes a multi-ethnic congregation. And that's God's plan. That's God's design. And it is immediately met with opposition. He goes back to Jerusalem. Peter's, I mean, imagine what it's like for this guy. He's probably feeling pretty good. If you've ever shared the gospel with somebody and they were trusted Jesus and were converted, you know this is one of the most amazing feelings in the world. It's like right up there with your wedding and the birth of your kids. Being with somebody the first time they meet Jesus, friends, it doesn't get much better than that. It's absolutely stunning. So here's Peter. He's like, man, this is exciting. 
These folks just got filled with the Spirit, and I'm preaching, and they're, they're coming, and they're praying, and the Lord is there. And it's, you can just imagine the kind of energy the guy's feeling. He's going, he's walking up to Jerusalem, he's, he's, he's excited. He goes, hey guys, guess what? I just went, I was preaching, and the Gentiles, the nations, believed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit showed up. And they're sitting over there, and they've, they're kind of arms across, and they're looking at me. We heard about that, Peter. And they criticize him. Imagine how pro- deflated he probably felt. <laughs> He's excited, he's got good news, and all of a sudden his peers and his colleagues in Jerusalem absolutely tear it down and resist what the Lord is doing. I think that fear began to creep back up, maybe a little bit. I think the Holy Spirit had to show up in Peter's life and do something to help him continually overcome that paralyzing possibility of fear. Absolutely. He's got to walk in the Spirit be able to continue to do that so the lord gives us peter as a model for what it looks like to face the fear involved that that comes as a boundary to sharing our faith in jesus he gives us peter and so we want to be like peter we want to follow the example that the lord has given us in peter's life overcoming the fear and so some strategies are probably helpful We've named some of the things that get in the way. We've named the fact that this is scary. It's not a comfortable deal. Um, even the folks who get paid to do it are scared to do it, right? I mean, it's, it's a thing. So let's talk about how we do it. What does it actually look like? What are some strategies that I can get involved in that I can begin to implement to help me overcome the barriers to talking to people about Jesus so that they can know his love the way I know his love? It's really quite selfish if we don't want to do that, isn't it? Uh, first one is we just need to get clear on the story, don't we? We know the story when we hear it. We know when people leave parts out of it. We've read the Gospels. Many of us grew up in church. If we didn't, we've come along. We've been around probably long enough. Hear the good sto- the story of Christ's love for us. You can kind of follow Peter's outline. Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's, that's the most, the big important main part. He's sent from God to do good, to show the love of God. He gave his life. Why did he give his life? To offer forgiveness for sin. God raised him from the dead. now he invites people to believe jesus is lord jesus died for our sins god raised him from the dead repent and believe it's very simple isn't it and we know it but to get confidence in talking about it means we have to spend some time in the scriptures you know it would probably do us all good to maybe spend about a month just reading acts 10 (laughs) 34 through 48 12 verses or so, 14, 10, 12, 13 verses. Let's just read through them every day, a couple of times. Get up in the morning, have some coffee, read Acts 10, verse 34 and following. We get that story in our heads. Maybe we should just memorize it. How about that? So the next time somebody's cutting our hair and they say, hey, heard about this Jesus guy, aren't you a Methodist? What's that all about? 
we don't immerse ourselves in the story, it's going to be very hard to confidently tell the story. And it's just a story, isn't it? When's, who, who in the room has ever told a story? Not this story, any story. So we are experienced storytellers, right? We love a good story, don't we? A good one. A bad story, we don't want to hear that. Friends, this is the best story. And the Lord God who made all things has entrusted it to us. To us. What a privilege that is. Let's not let fear keep us from being the people God has called us to be. Because it really robs us of some of the greatest joy we'll ever experience in our lives. I promise. So we just got to know the story. And then we trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. So tell the story and trust the Spirit. Very, very simple, isn't it? Tell the story about Jesus, trust the Spirit to do the rest. We don't have to tweak the story. We don't have to mess with it to make it sound a little bit more palatable and a little bit more nicer and not quite as bloody. Just tell the story. The Holy Spirit uses the story. Peter tells the story with all of its, all of its pieces and the Spirit shows up. You think the Spirit would have shown up if he hadn't mentioned the cross and the resurrection? I don't think so. Because that's the story. <laughs> that's the heart of the story. <laughs> it's the climax of the story. And if the Spirit wants to use the story, and we don't tell the heart of the story, the main part of the plot, then we haven't given the Spirit the thing he wants to use. And it's not our job to seal the deal, is it? It's not my job to make somebody else believe in Jesus. It's just my job to tell the story. And if the Spirit wants to use that and work to convict and convert and draw people to the Lord, that's his business. When I was sitting in that chair in Kentucky and the lady's cutting my hair, it's not my job to twist her arm, spiritually speaking, until she converts. It's not my job. I did my job. Talked about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. The rest is the Holy Spirit's business and her business. It's our job to deliver the message. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make the message effective. So the result, your faithfulness, our faithfulness, my faithfulness doesn't depend on the result. That's the Spirit's job. We're just like the mailman. Just got to get it in the box, get the package in the box, <laughs> and leave it to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. All right? So we get the story straight. We trust the Spirit. But how do we get those, I mean, how do you find yourself in those kind of conversations? Because it's not every day that somebody just straight up asks you, hey, you're a Christian, tell me about Jesus. Right? Occasionally that will happen. Not all the time. In fact, that doesn't, that's not usually the way it happens. So I've been reflecting on it. There's a lot of strategies out there. Some of them are very unhelpful. Some of them are more helpful. I found in my experience of just kind of committing to do this and, and engage people in non-threatening and you know, because you don't want to like walk up to somebody. You know, I'm not talking about knocking on somebody's door. Got my Bible. Tell you about Jesus. They will probably call the police. Right? And you'll be, you know, have a court order or something. Right? But maybe you're sitting with somebody. You're having lunch or you're just sitting by somebody on a bench or something, right? My grandfather. Uh, when I was a kid, we'd go to the mall on Friday nights with my grandparents in Auburn. I guess that's, you know, 10 years old. And uh, my mom and my grandmother would go shop, and me and my brother and my granddad would sit on a bench. 
maybe that's where I get it. We just sat on a bench, and everybody, he knew everyone who walked by because they all worked for him at some mill that he was a supervisor at. You know, and this guy loved to tell people about Jesus. Loved it. I think I've shared with you before as he was getting his uh, cancer treatments, he got excited about his treatments because it gave him an opportunity to talk to the nursing staff about the gospel. This is a guy giving thanks to God for cancer treatments. And many of you know how horrifying those things are. Because he can't wait for the next opportunity to get a word in for Jesus. So how do we kind of get our position in a, get ourselves in a position where we can take the conversation in that route? Two questions I have found to be stunningly reliable. First one, hey, what do you know about Jesus? And this is easy for us because we live in the Bible Belt. People aren't surprised when Jesus comes up in the conversation. Sometimes I get up and walk away, but by and large, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. And you'd be amazed at what people say when you ask that question. I mean, people have heard crazy stuff about Jesus. It's kind of interesting just to raise the question and see what people will say. Wild things come up. But once you ask that question, it's very easy to begin discerning where somebody is in their spiritual journey. You know, if it's, oh yeah, Jesus, I've heard of Jesus, you know. He wakes me up every morning and he's great. They probably don't know Jesus. They've heard about him, but they don't know it. Probably. I mean, use some judgment. Sometimes I'll say, hey, what do you know about Jesus? And they'll say, oh, wow, you know, how grateful I am that he has taken the burden of my sin and my guilt and rescued me from that. That person probably knows Jesus. So all of a sudden, you've got a question that you can just kind of raise. It's not threatening. Most people, here's the thing I found, most people are very interested to tell you what they know if you just be quiet and listen. <laughs> just raise the question and then sit back and see what they have to say. And chances are, they'll say something that will open the conversation and take it further. Either that or they'll walk away and you don't have to worry about it. But then you can begin to tell, all right, so, you know, and if the person... Uh, starts sharing their testimony with me, then I don't have to try to convert them because they're your brother in Christ. I'll tell you this, don't try to convert people who already know Jesus. <laughs> One time uh, before I moved away from Union Springs, we're having a yard sale and I had a bunch of books out there and this guy who was passing through town, this is in Union Springs right there. I lived across the street from the church, not quite as close to this one, a little bit further away, but it was right there still. You could see it, massive building across the street. Okay, and the guy comes up and he gives me this book on you know, like getting saved and meeting Jesus. I was like, oh, thanks for the book. I'm the pastor of the church over there. I love Jesus. He's great. Preach about him every week. And the guy's like, no, no, read the book. Jesus loves you. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I was like, are, you are we having a conversation? You know, so look, don't try to convert people who already know the Lord. Just celebrate that, okay? It's not, it wasn't a good thing. I think he was worried about Methodists is what it was. And it was just a, I mean, it was a, it was a good lesson. Don't try to save people who already know the Lord. But you raise the question, you know, and then you begin to see, all right, is this a person who, you know, maybe there's some living faith here, and we can be grateful for that, and that's a good thing, and celebrate that, but maybe there's not. And if there's not, there's another question. What do you know about the cross? And this is the question that gets to the heart of the thing. And this is the question, friends, we live in the Bible Belt, and there are people who drive by our property on a daily basis and see the cross in the yard and have no idea what it means. 
Another time in Union Springs, there's a guy sitting in my study, came in looking for some help with a power bill or something. So we sat down, we talked for a little while. Well, you know about Jesus? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is cool. He didn't know Jesus. Well, you know about the cross? You know what he said? 35 years old, been walking around Union Springs, Alabama. And if you've ever been to Union Springs, you know there are more people, there are more churches in Bullock County than there are people. Okay. Am I right? <laughs> yes. All right. Yeah, it is. There are. They're everywhere. All right. This guy had lived there for 35 years, walking up and down the street by the Methodist church and the Baptist church and the Presbyterian church, all of the churches. And you know what he said to me? I've seen those crosses all over town, and I have no idea what they mean. 35 years in the Bible Belt, a church on every corner, and he had no idea what the cross of Jesus Christ was about. Do not assume your neighbors know Jesus because they live in Alabama. You think he wanted to hear the story at that point in, this, in the conversation? Guy was begging to hear the story. I'd love to tell you about the cross. He wanted, at this, by, by this point, You've listened to what they know. They're very interested to know what you know. It's not manipulative. It's not a, you know, I'm going to give you four steps to an easy salvation in God's plan for your life. It's just a conversation about the most important thing in eternity. And so I had an opportunity to tell the story, and it was easy at that point. And a few minutes later... <laughs> This guy had tears rolling down his cheeks. Because for the first time in his life, he found out that the God who made him loves him more than he can imagine. And being with somebody the first time they meet Jesus and discover how much the Lord loves them, friends, there's nothing like it. And if you haven't experienced it, you are missing out on one of the high points of your life. Two questions. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about his cross? Oh, you don't? I'd love to. Can I tell you the story? Everybody loves a good story. Brothers and sisters, to share the faith, we must face our fear. We've got to name it, and we have to have a strategy to overcome it when it raises its ugly head if we're going to be faithful. If we're not worried about faithfulness, don't sweat it. But if we want to be faithful, if we want to follow Jesus, this is essential. Absolutely essential. People don't meet Jesus on accident. <laughs> Nobody meets Jesus on accident. They only meet him when the Holy Spirit works through his people to bring them into a relationship of life-giving love with God the Father in Christ. And friends, it is deeply rewarding. It is deeply, deeply satisfying to be God's agent in that process. Last story. Sitting with a lady. Had the same conversation, same questions. Again, I can't tell you how often those two questions have led to opportunities for people to meet Jesus. And it doesn't feel concocted. You know, we, we, we're hesitant to use kind of, you know, four spiritual laws because it sounds like a sermon outline, not a conversation. 
sitting with this lady, and just the brokenness in her life was so apparent. Guilt, shame, sin, public public sinful reputation. I mean, just the, the guilt that this woman carried around on her shoulders every day of her life was overwhelming. And the look on her face when it became apparent to her that the Lord Jesus Christ loved her anyway. Because nobody nobody else did to her knowledge and she didn't love herself. Maybe you know what that's like. I mean, maybe we know what that's like to carry that kind of guilt about things we've done and people look at us like, you know, and and cross the street to avoid, you know, I mean, that, that stuff happens and it hurts, and we don't know what it's like to be loved, and we can't love ourselves. All we feel is this guilt and the shame, and that's where this woman was, and just painful things. And in a moment, the Holy Spirit uses the story. Remember, if you don't tell the story, the Holy Spirit can't do anything. In a moment, the Spirit uses the story about how Jesus gave his life and suffered and bled and died so that this lady could have her guilt and shame taken away and feel for the first, perhaps the first time since ever, that someone loved her. And you get the opportunity to be the agent who represents God in that transaction. Sometimes I can't believe the Lord has given us the privilege. Because that's what it is. And then I can't believe how often I don't take advantage of the privilege. Let's not be those kind of folks. Let's not talk a good game about Jesus and never actually talk to anyone else about him. So I'll make a challenge to you. Find somebody this week and tell them about the Lord. Just one person. See how it works out. They may walk away or they may call you names. Scripture says if that happens, consider yourself blessed because look at Jesus. (laughs) Names happened. The Holy Spirit may show up. And if he does, you will discover the sheer joy of being God's person on the spot when somebody gets born into God's family and meets Jesus for the first time. And I want that for you. Because it is indescribably spectacular. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of following Jesus. This is how disciples are made. And this is how God changes the world.